0: Hey, this is M.G. from the Reset Race podcast, where we discuss race, politics, economics and reparations. We wanted to let you know that we started a Patreon. So to support us over there, please go to www.patreon.com slash Reset Network. Again, www.patreon.com slash Reset Network. Thanks. We'll see you over there.
1: I deny everything but what I have all along admitted. The design on my part to free the slaves.
2: Yeah, quick intro. Uh, Jason, um, I'm a East Bay DSA member, uh, possibly CIA, um, (laughs) and um,
1: got into the reparations uh, because I think that uh, the building of a strong leftist movement is going to have to include people of color, and specifically Black people, and uh, more specifically um, American descendants of slaves. So that's generally why I'm here perfect
3: everybody is here all righty then doc go ahead and go next for us
4: I am doc I am from the cornfield in the middle of the country also known as Iowa I am also possibly a CIA but
3: <laughs> somebody is seven like C- people in a room some, somebody. It's like <laughs> secret
4: <laughs> secret agent you know secret Hitler up in here and uh Anyway, I've been on a Reset Race a number of times. I also have uh, my own show, Supernova Earth, and Sam has been gracious and kind enough to grace me with her uh, co-hosting skills on that, and I really appreciate that. So I'm here for the conversation and looking forward to it.
3: Yeah. all right righty, then. Awesome, Ida. Go ahead and uh, say hello to us.
5: Hi, I'm Ida from Croatia, via New York City. In um, in berkeley california uh bernie bro proud bernie bro and um i was i came to this group via tim black's epic epic uh video in which he um got on the case of white progressives who uh, because of their lack of solidarity with the black agenda and uh, i felt you know everything he said was absolutely on point and that's what led me here eventually.
3: Sorry, as I'm back on screen. All
2: righty then. Go ahead, Danette. Hi, I'm uh, Danette LaMonica Hudson. I am um, <clears throat> here by way of meeting Sam on Twitter. I was, um, I'm was mm-hmm. i a former burning bro. Um, <laughs> And uh, I am someone that was raised in the Black Panther movement, the Nation of Islam, and um, I believe in reparations. I am also a racial healing coach where I work with um, white women to understand the Native Black American experience and to work with them to um, free themselves from their past and their fear of talking about race and really becoming allies rather than just dreaming about being an ally so that they can be on the court and in action.
6: Mm -hmm. (coughs) Hi, my name is Edie and thank you for having me back. Um, I've been with Reef Set Race on a couple of shows and um, I live in Southern California. I'm from middle Georgia. And I'm just a lone activist looking for a place. Um, well, besides reparations, I'm in reparations now. So that's my place. And then uh, I also like the Poor People's Campaign. So, um, and I'm here because I met Samantha and I saw ADOS um, a few years ago. And I'm looking forward to working with, rep for. Uh, I'm looking forward to working with y'all on reparations. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So
3: who am I missing? I feel like, did I do Gabriel? Okay, let's do Gabriel. And after that, we'll do. My-
1: hey, everybody. Good, good day to you. My name is Gabriel Piemonti. I am a reparationist. I am a Caucasian pessimist or cracker pessimist, as you prefer. Uh, I can't possibly be with the CIA because I'm Italian American. Uh, I'm happy to be here and happy to see all of your beautiful faces
0: all hail king killmonger it is i the rightful ruler of wakanda um t'challa cheated y'all saw it y'all all saw it <laughs> and you, um i'm here to get you white allies right <laughs> get a few more let's get you guys on the winning team
3: yeah for real definitely need to get them on the winning team alrighty then so okay sorry because the screen moves as people talk so did we get everybody oh no let me get mud muds back in the box Is he back? so I'm going to switch Josiah down that's the only 10 of us can be on screen at a time so it's gonna it's like a uh, Hollywood squares all right go ahead mud uh since you got uh dropped off
0: yeah I don't know what happened um but yeah uh they call me mud technology um, <laughs> They call me Mudd. Um, I've been in the reparation space for the past uh, few years now. Um, you can find me on all my social media. Um,
1: Too much truth. Yeah. CIA. will not have it. There's a truth limit. Yeah. We've exceeded I
4: can, it. I can assure you the CIA didn't have anything to do with that one. Don't and how me would me. you know, Doc?
1: I, I, don't no, I can assure you the CIA had nothing to do with that
4: one. <laughs> I can assure you. <laughs> I'm, I'm
5: deep, I'm deep, deep on this.
0: <laughs> it keeps kicking me out. I don't know what's yeah, going on this um, is
7: mud when he's on clubhouse he always says the truth and then the moderators kick him down kick him <laughs> down midway because he's always telling the
0: truth uh hey, i'm gonna try it this third time um they call me mud um you can find me on all my social media of lineage um that's twitter instagram and clubhouse um I've been in the space, the reparation of space for the past three years. I created the Dose TV show and I am a co-host of Reset Race. Oh, I finally got through it, all right.
3: <laughs> you made it. You made it. Okay. Last but not least, I'm Samantha Angelique. I'm a co-host of Reset Race, uh, you know, I am co-host of this show. We love the network, we love you people, and we're gonna get to it because our technical difficulties have wasted a whole hour of our whole panel's lives and I love them. So so we're gonna get going. I'm gonna bring Sasha up because today's topic is how to build community. And um, I really wanted Sasha to kind of talk to us a little bit about institution building but also like um, the need for building institutions and also building different types of institutions. I feel like you can speak to that. I'll you so, uh, so, so
8: I am, I am someone, someone, someone who's... who is,
3: go ahead, go ahead. is someone else someone... speaking? No, you're done. I'm going to turn myself on mute.
8: Okay, that's fine. So I'm interested in community um, in part because I'm a former social scientist who's moved into futurism, which is another branch of social science. And one of the things that we've had a problem with that um, a really good book I recommend everyone read is called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam actually found since the 1980s. There has been a general decline in civic engagement and in communities, um, either people being engaged in their communities by joining organizations um, since really um, the 1980s. And there's a couple factors you found for that are things like people working more Uh, women were in the workplace more and some generational changes. So we've had a real breakdown of community across the board, across all races. And of course this has impacted different groups um, very strongly. Um, But the group, of course, I'm most qualified and the one I'm most focused on is helping Black Americans and specifically um, the sense of American chattel slavery, which are people that we would consider legacy Black Americans um, that were part of the slave trade and freed Um, after the Civil War to rebuild our communities because we had some unique issues with that. Um, Some unique issues that we've had is... um, we have had issues where we have formed different types of organizations and people have attempted to destroy those organizations historically. We've had issues where um, various different tragedies or what we call mass atrocities or genocidal events have actually prevented from my community from actually building healing communities. So it's really becomes important within my group as a way to kind of make sure that we have a continuity of our identity and our um, community character and culture to actually rebuild those things. Um, I do work as a futurist to give people resources to build different kinds of community. Um, I've helped people build um, agrarian type communities, whether it's helping people with intentional community work or helping people with actually building community gardens, which are also helpful. But I also teach people on how to do these things with maintaining and actually creating groups for culture and dealing with issues of cultural appropriation because as a futurist, we know that globalization or, and I'm also something else called a communitarian, that these things are becoming more important and to help people get the resources to take care of that themselves and to actually begin engagement is actually part of Healing America. So it's really a big passion of mine that I have been really um, delving into and actually starting to teach people more on. So my question is, in terms of community, because we all actually represent different communities in this group, what are the ways that you think that communities have fallen since you, or or have they not fallen? If you, it's okay if you don't think that they've actually become less engaged. You know, they're still strong. Um, and what do you think? There are ways we can actually heal and deal with that because I think that is honestly an American problem.
5: I agree with Putnam on this. As a non, sorry, I, as a non-American or someone who came here when I was twenty-one. Mm Um, you know, but people talk a lot about community here, but I have never experienced anything remotely resembling the kind of community that I had at home. So I don't know if that's because, you know, I grew up in a certain environment and I knew everybody growing up, we, you know, from elementary school, kindergarten, you name it. But, um, I feel that it's this whole, you know, hyper capitalist, um, what is it called? Uh, upward mobility and whatever BS that's causing people here in this country to not have any roots anywhere. Like, well, people keep moving.
1: For this. you know, you yeah. live in probably two of the worst, the, um, you know, the, between New York City, right? You were there before yeah. and now you're in Berkeley.
5: Yeah, I mean, since I moved here to California, I moved 11 times since 2003.
1: Those are yeah. Those so are the places. Good. Uh, what's good about that for you is you have tremendous insight now about you know how we destroy people's ability to have empathy for each other and live in community. But you're not seeing. I mean, I think there are lots of neighborhoods in and parts of the country where there still is community. I think by and large these um, are fairly ethnically homogenous places. So like, I think for me, the South side of Chicago is the most um, kind of community-based rooted place I've lived in since my childhood in the North end of Boston, which was mostly Italian American. So mm-hmm. I had to move from one predominantly ethnic group, Italian Americans to another predominantly black area. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I think there's, we should talk about whether there's the possibility of you know, convergence among ethnicities. That still has community but i think you hit it in the nail on the head it's where you started from you grew up there you had you had years where you're connected to people probably all living in the same place um i don't know that's that's i'm sure that Sasha has lots of thoughts about how how we grow it where it works and where it doesn't work
8: Um, I, I want to hear some other insights on this one, but I think I love what your point that you made about where you lived and about the, the point about upward mobility and that, mo- that, that push for that destroyed community because that's one of Putnam's big points that he makes in his work and the studies that he's done is that the need for hyper-careerism in America has actually destroyed community. Is, has anyone mm-hmm. really, besides her, experienced that? Where you think that you that people that you lived in a community with or were around or even neighbors that people were so focused on that kind of a thing that it destroyed any sense of community that could be built. You know, okay.
4: I, I have a feeling that in this in this sense, yes, because there are so many people who are willing to cut the throats of other people to get ahead, and a lot of a lot of the very first people they see is their neighbors. For example, where I grew up at Northern Indiana is generally a working class. Uh, you would say like a subdivision. And, you know, everybody there who lived there worked they all worked at the steel mill. And they worked at different jobs within the steel mill. But there was a recession in nineteen eighty two where most of the people mm-hmm. who lived there were laid off. And <laughs> I mean it was it was tremendous. It was like eighteen months of no work for anybody in the area. And so some of the people in the neighborhood decided that they were going to try to like start a neighborhood store, you know, so that people could, you know, They wouldn't have to go to the, you know, the the huge store, you know, 15 miles away. They could shop here in the neighborhood and, you know, maybe get some discounts or whatever. And, you know, you're basically supporting your neighborhood and economic development with you in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there were some people who were uh, friends with developers in other parts of the area who, you know, went and had the sheriff come Mm -hmm. and shut places like that down simply because of the fact that they couldn't tolerate any kind of competition to their friends business elsewhere. And they because they still had money and they still had work, you know, they still had connections with, you know, the the law enforcement. They actually destroyed that part of the community in order to keep, you know, the competition uh, from hurting members of their own class, essentially, essentially. It was it was to their their class's advantage to shut down these community institutions that were starting to develop.
5: Ooh, that brings story. something
8: that's yeah. a great story. So, do you think that your example is a cautionary tale of what not to do or is it a cautionary tale that if anyone tries to build something that they should watch out for that?
4: Well, I would I would I would say in that case it was probably a cautionary tale of of you know, of what will happen if you actually try to build a community in that. I mean, you see You have historical examples all over the place of people who are of different communities trying to get together and work together and have some solidarity and then like cops coming in and shutting it all down or, you know, like rich people inciting race riots against, you know, you know, places like in in Tulsa or wherever you see examples of whites and blacks working together to try to form unions or co ops and stuff like that. And so the the community will actually turn against you if you actually try to start building institutions, if those things don't match this is really ad hoc theorizing here, if those things don't match the the prevailing social class uh, structure, if they kind of go against that class or caste structure of that community. Oh, thank,
8: thank you for making that point. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's one of my favorite books I actually teach from. It's called A Paradise Built in Hell by Rebecca Solnit. And one of the points that she makes in the book and the book is about natural disasters and how governments are often inefficient or useless during natural disasters. And that people are actually much better at actually managing their communities and handling these things when these stuff happens. So I'm wondering, during the period of time that we're having you know, issues with both natural disasters and a pandemic, do you see this growth of mutual aid that we have for one another in the middle of this crisis continuing um, to build a bigger momentum and movement, or do you think it's just going to be a stopgap during this time period?
4: Well, I think that anything we do without structural reform is a stopgap. Mm-hmm. So you need structural reform on a number of different levels. You need it on economic levels. You need it on cultural or racial levels. You need, you know, it's structural reform and structural revolution even on a whole number of different levels. <laughs> Otherwise, everything you do is just a band-aid trying to stop a hemorrhage and. You know, as you see, Band-Aids are very quickly overwhelmed
7: by right. massive like that. Can I, just... Can I chime in quickly? Or... Go for you it. Know, Sasha, it's just interesting. You, uh, you just mentioned something that I was thinking about this week. I've just been noticing in several cities, and I've been doing some traveling lately, that mutual aid seems to have increased generally. Um, and just even on social media posts and in uh, activist spaces, there's more at least talk and i see movement on community fridges um you know even in the public schools that are coming back you even hear these stories about even students uh, getting um free uh, pantries together so i've just been noticing um that there i guess there is a trend i guess we're seeing the same trend and um when i was on uh, clubhouse the other day which i'm i'm a big fan of they have these white ally spaces and there is this kind of vibe i notice where you know we're just kind of sick of um I think people are noticing the talking and the quote unquote activism hasn't worked. And there's a lot of people that are just saying mutual aid is what we have to do right now. And I don't know if um, you felt that same vibe. I I think you're on to something and it's interesting you notice it because I've been noticing this week that there's even some very intense exchanges in some of these rooms and some of these activist spaces where it's like, you know, we, we all have to do mutual aid work right now. So um, I, I, I'd like to agree with you and hope that it's it's a trend for the future because I think it's really good and something that, you know, we could financially support. And, you know, f- you know it might seem like a Band-Aid to some, but for a lot of people, it's, you know, a backpack for a kid, you know, or, you know, food and things like that. So I, I agree with it. And I don't know if anybody else has seen similar trends in their cities, you know, especially throughout the pandemic. So I, I just so wanted I think to can see. I, I, can I interject real quick here? Yeah, and I'll go after uh, you
5: talk.
4: Sure. This is this is on the front of my mind. With, with things like mutual aid, there it's obviously very good work, and it's very immediate work, and it's very personal work, and it's like a one-on-one type of thing, and it really benefits people individually. But when we do things like this, this is the this is the unpopular opinion about this. I think so. I'm going to go out on a limb and stick my neck out here. When we do things like this, we sort of alleviate the need of the society to take care of our own. Uh, we we you know we give yeah. people an excuse to say well we don't have to have you know free mm. food in society anymore because we got fifty mutual aid uh, groups that are doing it or, mm. or, or charities even we don't have to like promote free housing because we got a charity that that does rental assistance and we don't have to like rein in the utilities because we got all these <laughs> charities that drop you know fifty or a hundred dollars on people every single month. To help pay their bills, so at what point do we, as a society, say, "Look, the charities aren't enough. They're not in. They're not ending any of the problems that they're trying to like help with. We need a, a society level, a state level, you know, answer to these problems, to you know, either cut prices down or put you know caps on rent or something like that, in order to force like a, a dramatic change in the the a permanent change in the lives of people." where they don't have to go back every yeah. single month to the Mutual Aid Society and try to get another check.
3: So They, like, they don't have to worry okay. about- Can I get, like, in, here? I'm gonna get in on this one? Can I get in real quick? So let me get in here real quick. So how I, so am I unmuted? Okay. No, you are. Oh, I hear you. Okay, perfect. So this is, so I look at setting up the Mutual Aid Societies as an organizing tool, right? Because you keep saying, how do we get people together to actually fight the system for real change, right? The mutual aid is how you get people to come together because i may not want to listen to you just sit and preach at me but if there's some type of service or something going on then over time i'm more interested in what you're talking about and once you start getting people together in their community and they start looking around and noticing the problems then from there the political groups can spur out and fight for the things that need to be fixed in the community because like i see it multifaceted, like you do too right but I think we think of everything on a federal level, but I think the federal level should be funding the communities, right? Because a, a community that comes together and actually figures out what's needed for that community would know better than the Fed. But we need the Fed to fund it, if that well, makes sense. What happens so when this- you find
4: What happens when you find your view in the minority? Like, for example, when the communities decide we're not going to give school to poor people. And they can't do shit about it because they don't pay any taxes like which is, which is what happens in a lot of communities where they don't fund schools for poor people because but, the poor people don't have any political power.
3: But the mutual aid community. But that's the point about mutual aid communities is it's supposed to be in your community. So if you get a bunch of poor people together, they're not going to vote not to fund their schools.
1: Right, but that, you'll get I, enough yeah, of but, those but, people
3: together to start fighting towards the because this is the thing at least for me like the white the more affluent areas are better organized to get what they want politically the poor people we're not even coming together to even fight
2: to have a conversation
3: in the first place
2: but that's because they're working and they don't have time to organize mm-hmm. like they're surviving there's there's. Mm-hmm. There's an issue when you can't feed your family, who's running the country doesn't really matter because you're trying to feed your family and medicate yourself and get back and (laughs) forth to work. So the failure of our federal government to provide a floor under which no one falls is the reason that mutual mutual aid societies are popping up in the middle of a pandemic because our country fucking sucks. Like, they told people to stay home and then gave them, at the most, $3,000 for two years. Like, that's supposed (laughs) to do something. And then they spent $6 trillion on their best rich friends. Mm
8: -hmm. But the the, the other factor that we're not taking into account, I think some of you don't completely understand what mutual aid is. I'm looking at the definition that um, Peter... um, Kropotkin, Kropotkin came up with mutual aid. Mutual aid, and Ben Shepard pointed out, is pe- it's not charity. People give what they can and get what they need. So it's actually like if you were, it's, I would say, mutual aid is not charity. Mutual aid is low tech anarchists co ops.
3: And but, that, in theory,
1: that's nice, but that's not. But sh-
4: surely you'll agree that there's more need than there is resources to meet that need you know
3: right
8: and that's where i say the next thing i want like to actually get into a little bit because this is something that the growth area um um is cooperatives has anyone here ever actually taken place in a cooperative or found them useful to helping build a community
1: absolutely yeah, I've I've been on the board of a housing cooperative. I helped find a financial found a financial cooperative, and um, yeah, you know the South Side of Chicago is is one of the kind of epicenters in the United States of cooperative development, and it's not. I don't think it gets the attention it deserves because Black folks were part of the driving force behind it, so it doesn't fit the narrative of kind of. It's not the New Deal narrative. Um, It's, I couldn't agree with you more, Sasha. Definitely uh, excited to hear what you have to say about co-ops. They're critical to whatever we're gonna do going forward.
8: Right, Uh, does anyone, and I also understand, We've talked a lot about communities that we lived in. Has anyone found uh, one of the forms of people, community, one of the oldest forms of community that we actually had in society, even to talks about that, is actually religious communities. Has anyone found that either they grew up in or were somewhat associated with a religious community that actually offered not only a sense of community, but a sense of being able to form organizations that are useful to themselves and other parts uh,
2: outside people? The Nation of Islam is the best organization on earth, the best religious organization on earth, because they provide food, they provide education, they train um, as far as nutrition and what to eat to sustain your life. They are doing mediation work all over the country Mm -hmm. as far as squashing beefs. They, Minister Farrakhan, has gone and, you know, did the East Coast, West Coast beef and worked worked out the differences in the older generation. They go into prisons. They provide um, security in their neighborhoods. They reduce crime. So, yeah, the Nation of Islam is by far the best organization.
1: Amazing, ever. amazing organization.
8: Right. Right. Um- I've also found that in my case, um, I have actually benefited because I'm Jewish, there are various different groups that have actually built very strong cooperative, whether it's cooperative living situations, because um, I've actually stayed in actual ones that have been built by different groups of organizations on that subject. Um, I'm also studying with them right now because I'm actually one of the things I'm gonna be doing in the next five year goals here is I'm actually going to be talking to various different groups of people who have formed different types of cooperatives simply because the lack of um, education on this topic to younger people is kind of daunting. And the other factor on this is this is going to become more necessary because I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the latest data, but the ability for the average person to buy their own home is going to be greatly diminished in a lot of American cities. So cooperatives um, could possibly be a way of actually working around that problem because whether it's consumer co-ops where groups of people buy things, or you know neighborhood co-ops where people actually buy land and actually build properties that people are affordable housing, I know the Institute for um, Intentional Communities is actually offering scholarships. If you know anyone for um, communities of color for people to actually study with them, so they can actually form their own communities because they're trying to grow the number. Of actual intentional communities and cooperative living spaces for communities of color in the United States.
1: You know, Sasha, I think it's um, no coincidence that the South Side is as um, fertile a, a ground as it is for co-ops, and it is uh, a commu- very, very vibrant Jewish community here, and and the heart of the nation, really. I mean, this is. The nation of Islam's, I mean, I wouldn't say which mosque is bigger than another one, but certainly this is a very important um, it's the headquarters. Location. Yeah, I it's 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 important here. I mean, the nation is everywhere. If you stand at a bus stop here and start talking about the nation, if there are more than three people there, someone is affiliated with the nation. and it's it's hard to not have a conversation about community development without uh, some member, whether it's it's a synagogue, or just a Jewish person who was very active in, in some effort. So these cultures are critical. And and this is, kind of goes back to building community to what we were talking about initially, that when, when the cultures are ruptured, then you you eviscerate the possibility of this kind of building. And I think that's the challenge we have here and why reparations is so critical is that, okay, so these are great ideas. Why haven't they been implemented? Well, actually they have been and then they're, destroyed. Why are they destroyed? Because the black community cannot have economic um, capacity in order for this country to operate the way it operates. It has to be ruptured economically. And when you're doing that to communities, when that's part of the modus operandi of the society, then these ideas, they'll they'll grow, they'll build, but what they're going to do is they're going to be very successful. So there's mutual aid all over the South Side of Chicago. Where is it most effective? Where is it most visible? Hyde Park, the richest, whitest neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. And that's going to always be the case until you deal with the root causes, the basic problem, which is the foundational injustice. the, The basic thing that makes it possible for us to have the affluence we have, which is stolen wealth from centuries of labor and, of course, stolen land as well.
2: And right. I, I'm from Austin, Texas, and Austin is a flush on the white side of town with co-ops. Yeah. And the east side yeah. of the town, which was the black community, has been run off because of gentrification. So it's hard to build a community, like Gabriel said, when the government can just come in through eminent domain, mm-hmm. take your stuff like they were trying to do in New York. for for Jeff Bezos to make a new warehouse for me to order my Amazon stuff. You know, like I'm the spouse of um, a retired sergeant and we've been negatively impacted by by COVID because we got COVID. But prior to us getting sick, we didn't miss a beat because of my husband's um, retirement and his disability pay. We didn't have to worry about being homeless or not having food or not, you know, having our lights shut off, but that's not the case for everybody. And, and when our nation is its job, like it, I guess it's decided its manifest destiny is to not just destroy communities around the world, but it destroys its own white communities when it takes the jobs that anchor that community away. I live in Hinesville, Georgia, and the military base is the anchor of this community. There are seven (laughs) cities in my county. And if the military base goes away, this town shrivels up like a raisin and dies. And so we always, every couple of years, when someone is being elected, the thing that the retirees wanna make sure is that whoever gets elected mayor knows how to hobnob to keep this base open. Because if the base goes, the whole community is gone.
8: So here's my question to those of you, um, especially at emphasis on um, the, uh, the commentaries of color. How do we maintain communities when it seems like people who have less economic capital are often the, the sacrificial lambs? to economic decisions made by elites on this, because this is a pattern. I heard we talked about with white communities, we're hearing about this with black communities. So what are some successes, anyone know any successful strategies or actually successful cases where people fought these things off? Because this seems to be a recurring pattern of what we're discussing.
2: I think the communities continue to exist. They're just dilapidating. They're just like people, people that can't afford to move, like the people that live in the hollers of Kentucky, They're still a community. They still live and and do what they do. But their infrastructure is gone. Look at Detroit. The infrastructure is gutted in Midwestern communities, but the people remain because they can't go anywhere. So communities still exist. They are just not Driving communities necessarily,
3: and, and again, doesn't this come back to a lack of organization amongst ourselves, right? So this is the thing in poor communities, most people are not going to be able to attend those city council meetings and stuff like that during the daytime. We got retirees. Why don't we have? Why aren't we talking to our elders about them going to the meetings? And letting us know what goes on. And then they tell the young folks. And the young folks go knock everybody else's doors and ring the alarm. We just don't. We have to get back to the basics. Because we can't do anything until we organize each other. Like, we can't. like Because we don't have the numbers. We've already seen that nobody's responding to us in in the numbers that we're doing right now. Nobody cares. The oligarchs aren't responding. The politicians aren't responding. So it's about getting a large enough group together that we can actually make demands and be taken seriously.
2: But I also think, Sam, that the needs of the elderly are not the needs of the young. I mean, we saw but that. I'm when- not saying, but but the thing about it is you have to remember after slavery,
3: when our men could vote, men, women, and child sat in churches and talked about who would be voted on. Okay, so it's not about grandma's needs. Grandma needs to go back to being part of a community and thinking about her children, her grandchildren as well. That all goes back to how we go back to how we interact and deal with each other, especially for black folks since crack that fucked up our community. Like yeah, really
2: no, is. I agree with that. I also think Joe Biden's laws. The church is bankrupt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, and the, the the church used to be the center of community, especially to organize us to be able to vote, but when they are um I think the church has been captured and they're and the black church specifically mm-hmm. is weak. They 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 all just voted in Biden. And, since, you know, while they watch your children be ravished in the crack epidemic, grandma and grandpa went and voted for Joe Biden. So I think that it's a lack of education. Mm-hmm. I think it's a generational mm-hmm. thing. I think I agree. that when we as young people, I know when I was talking to my elder about Joe Biden and how horrible he was, I was told I needed to be seen in and not hurt and to stop talking and i was just stupid and i would learn when i got older okay so
6: i'm i'm not sure i agree with um danette um what she said and for that reason i say you know um the black community of elders might be the same as the white community of elders where they vote in their own best interest they're not worried about us like (laughs) And they t- that's exactly what I've been told for the past three years is step down and shut up and just do what they say.
8: My question yeah. is to everyone. Do you think that the traumas of what happened, because we actually, America had some of the best civil society and community engagement during the civil rights movement, but do you think that the trauma of what happened to the civil rights leaders and the trauma of what happened, the directed, like, genocidal actions within various communities. Do you think that's really ultimately what destroyed a lot of our community and why we've struggled so much to bring, bring it back? Yeah, fear. Put back
3: fear. That's how I feel about Reverend Barber. That's why I think he won't go as far as he needs to, because he grew up in a generation where he watched everybody get murdered. Mm-hmm. And Doc, I know you had your hand up, so if you would. Well, I was
4: actually going to speak to that. And I, I, I would like to give some credit to the people that were out protesting in the streets. I mean, there were hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of people out there. It was one of the biggest uh, social protests that we've seen in more than a generation. Even it even, you know, was bigger than the anti-war stuff in the early 2000s. And so we got to give some credit to the fact that there are people who are organized. There are people who are organizing and there are people who are very conscious of this stuff and are trying to do something about it and yet it seems that the the more that they organize the the oligarchs do take notice it's not that they're ignoring you it's that they're responding to people who are in the streets with tear gas and and rubber bullets and you know th- to me that says that you know something's getting through something's getting through when they feel like they need to got when they got to put the riot police out in the streets to deal with a peaceful protest about justice And, and, you know, racial equality and that kind of stuff, something's getting through. And so I just wanted to make sure that we give credit to the people who were out there doing that stuff, you know, because, like I said, it was the largest social protest in in the generation. And, uh, you know, more stuff along that line and better organization along that line could possibly point to a way forward uh, in tandem with with the mutual aid and stuff like that you guys are talking about.
1: And I think you're right, Doc, um, that the other side of that is not just that those people work very hard, but that the government works awfully hard. It takes a lot of resources to keep things as screwed up as they are. And that's another thing that Solnit, the author Sasha was referencing earlier, points out in her book, The Paradise Built in Hell, is not just that people in disaster will naturally come together, but that government or powerful people will then respond to people coming together and smash it but that's the impulse. And that's especially the impulse when any of those folks in those combinations are are black folks. Because Mm -hmm. in America, there's a sense of alarm whenever black folks are seen organizing, that everything's gonna fall apart. And I think that's right. In fact, if you're a white supremacist, Mm -hmm. you are correct to be alarmed and concerned Mm -hmm. about what's been happening in America over the last several decades, because your time is running out. And so it makes sense that responses are are more and more extreme it makes sense that our urban police forces are military forces now and have military equipment it makes sense because we're we're in a very serious battle the problem is that the other side understands that and we're still kind of trying to get it together um you know i i
8: I would argue that that's on purpose and i will argue one other thing one of the points, the other points I loved about that book with Paradise Built to Now with Rebecca Solnit is uh-huh. that the elite people hate disasters because it shows how ultimately how incompetent they are. So what ways do you see people, even in light of the era of growing understanding community and mutual aid, on which ways do you see people kind of acting a little askew that are not part of the masses about the fact that there is growing need for community and people using it, because this is really normal when this stuff happens. Cause we had it happening at once. We have natural disasters like Ida happening and the stuff happening, the tower grid in Texas, plus COVID. I mean, they're really looking incompetent now. They're, sh- they're shaking their boots. They look bad.
1: Um, that's a good question.
6: Well, that's what, I mean, I'm not sure I followed everything perfectly, but <laughs> that's why we had to get the com- the country back to working again, right, to cover that up and I think when I look at my friends back in in the South who were you know under no mass mandates in school and um and stuff like that, like everybody's just it's been normalized. everything just seems normalized to me like. I'm still keeping my kid home because he's not vaccinated. And everybody I know back there is just living their life.
5: Can I just quickly um, interject, kind of take us back to the beginning of the conversation when we were talking about community? I've often wondered, you know, the fact that we ship the elderly to retirement homes you know, the the degree of damage to the community that has done. Because, like, where are the old wise people or just grandparents who can take care of the kids? You know, I, I, like kindergartens and daycare and all that, um, they're very expensive here. And, um, like, I think there used to be a lot more fluidity between generations and, and this kind of, tight knit community. But now that the old people are, you know, just thrown away. I feel like that's really created a big rift on a a deep level. And again, that's capitalism is to blame there. (laughs) Like, how do we repair that?
3: And well, I think that goes deeper because we have to talk about a whole generation of parents that deserve to be thrown away. (laughs) <laughs> that's a whole different kind of
6: conversation. But I'm, I'm not
3: saying, I'm not saying the whole generation, but I'm saying a lot of those parents weren't good parents to their kids, and that's why
6: they're throwing them in the. Let <laughs> me tell you, they put a whole bunch, they sent a whole bunch of us home. We're called latchkey kids, mm-hmm. and we spent every afternoon by ourselves.
5: Thanks. That was me.
6: And
7: they're I, sitting I think... on those old retirement plans from the 60s. They're like, oh, yeah, life is good. Get your ass up and work, you know.
3: Lazy. Y'all are lazy. I, lazy
7: kids.
3: When I was a kid, I worked and went to school. Yeah, you worked at a burger joint and paid for four years of
2: college. Fuck you. <laughs> when I was 19, Not I had two houses. Our, <laughs> are black people sending their elderly to retirement
3: homes?
1: We can't I afford that so. shit.
3: That's rich white people shit. Yeah, <laughs> in my
2: experience. My grandfather, my grandfather was your in sound the is 90s. way too low. Um, my, can you hear me now?
1: Come A closer. Better,
2: but come closer. My my grandparents. We went to my grand like my part of it. So on my mother's side, my grandmother died from Alzheimer's and dementia. So she wasn't in a space to deal with grandkids and great grand. She just wasn't. On, okay. on, my, um, on my biological father's side of the family, they came to them after school. Like they went to the school that was in my grandparents' neighborhood. And after school, they went to my grandparents' house. I didn't because I lived in a different state. And then with my stepfather, He had health issues and wasn't able to take care of grandkids. So I think that the experience of community, when you're talking Black community versus white community, is a very different experience. I mean, we have generations, like my my mother-in-law raises her grandkids. My mom raised two of her grandkids, and my sister raised two of my nieces. So like we have a strong family unit. We talk every day. I'm out of state, but they're with each other all the time. So I think the experience of community, if we're talking on a familial level, it's still intact within the black community, even in the middle of a dilapidated, crack infested neighborhood, you still have... (laughs) the familial community there. Now, community on the level of Hinesville as a you know starting point. Um, we all rally together around the military. But I do think that capitalism has ravished our country, whether it's yeah. you know, the all the deployments and the mental health issues that the military community deals with, the suicides, the domestic violence, the you know, there's a high percentage of white men that are now joining white supremacist groups out of the military. I mean, mm. it's it's there's a lot of craziness happening. So America is sick. Minister Farrakhan wrote a book and said that America is on her deathbed. Mm-hmm. And Fannie Lou Hamer was saying that, too. Fannie Lou Hamer was saying that a
3: long time ago. Mud, I want you to get in here because I ain't heard enough of you.
0: Well, you probably haven't heard any of me because the thing keeps you keep kicking me out. out.
3: I know this. <laughs> I, I keep throwing you back in there. Thank you. Thank yeah. you.
1: Um, we we
3: may just end up, We may just end up using, getting a Zoom panel.
2: I have a Zoom it, account, Sam. I have a yeah. Zoom account you guys can use. Yeah. It's paid for.
0: Okay. Well, I just wanted to say this. Um, I don't know if this has kind of been covered. I think we kind of touched on... Uh, the gentrification thing. But I think the issue that a lot of us are having is the fact that um, we have community, but we're not within proximity of each other, like the people that we consider Mm -hmm. to be in our community. Um, And part of that is because um, just our living arrangements are like in the modern America are, are different, especially if you're a renter. Um, you're only in a location for maybe two, three years before you move to another location. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a lot of people that could be moving to another town, (laughs) you know, that could be, you know, like if you have to move closer to a a new job that you got, if you got to move closer to a new school, you know, and that's where it it seems like it's hard for people to find roots in like their local community, especially like to do politics, because mm-hmm. that might not be their community in the next couple of years. So mm-hmm. why get invested? Yeah. 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 That's it's like right. how
3: when Ida was talking about how she lived 11 places and she's been in the country. Like,
5: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, my, my mom is 80 now and she is all alone in Croatia. Sorry.
1: And that's what capitalism does, right? It displaces us. Um, you know, the, and, and I think it's true that there aren't the same kind of senior centers. There are these locks like uh, in the Hyde Park neighborhood in in on the south side, which is w- what the University of Chicago, where they kind of run things. There's a senior building, senior facility that it costs a half million dollars to get into. Then you start paying. <laughs> then you start paying Jesus. a monthly fee. Oh yeah, no. I,
3: I looked into that because you know I'm I'm a striver, so that's that was one of the things. Um, I was a striver. That was one of the things on my list: retirement facilities. Because my family has like 160 acres of land in Arkansas, and I was like, mow that bad boy down, build a beautiful lake, like in uh what's my movie, The Notebook, have and have a whole <laughs> retirement community around a gorgeous lake with a fishing pond. Yep.
1: it's it's big money. Now, on the other hand, there are, are making that move. <laughs> On the other hand, there are senior buildings in the neighborhoods outside of High Park, the black black neighborhoods, but it's not the same thing. That's for people. First of all, they start at 50 years old. So a senior a senior building for white people is like you're 70, 75 and you're taking some of your savings, a fraction of it and giving them a half million dollars in my neighborhood it you can if you're 50 or older you can go into a what was originally designated as a senior building but these are for people really this is the stuff that that the damage that's done in predominantly black neighborhoods to people and you can't you your family literally can't take care of the problems you have that that's what they're for it's like it's not that anybody wants to put you in a building and forget about you it's more like Literally, you, you need around me. the car care because you have so many ailments and problems yeah. that it's yeah. not possible. So I had, I had
3: a friend who had to put her grandmother into um, into a facility because she had Alzheimer's, because they literally kept track of her until the point that they it became unsafe to keep her. Right. And it right. it still broke their hearts to have to do it.
1: So, yeah. Even so, even that's different. It's right. It's not the same thing. It's like nobody wants to do it. Where you got white folks being like, bye, grandma. You know, it's like good
3: news. Give
8: me
1: that house.
3: house.
1: (laughs) We were in, look, Chicago. We had the polls for kids going back to school last school year. It was overwhelmingly white people were like, send our kids back. We know you don't have protocols yet. We know that the rates are still going through the roof. Send our white kids back. And black and brown parents were like, please do not. You know, remote learning is fine for now to agree this out. Guess what the mayor did?
3: Exactly. And we ain't got no computers. We barely got internet. All these white people right. got tablets, internet, that, right.
1: You know, and in Berkeley. Berkeley they, the remote tutors.
5: In Berkeley, <laughs> they Berkeley uh, school district was giving these, uh, what are they called? Chromebooks to all the mm-hmm. kids who didn't have any. And they, they even gave them. What is it called this little uh, hot hot spots? Yeah, yeah, so so this was all organized by by Berkeley City. It
1: awesome. it really works for oh, sure. everyone. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. There.
0: <laughs>
7: you know? well the country has the resources that that's the whole kind of sick joke about all these discussions this government can very easily put all these retirement centers in all these cities and when we quote unquote Mm -hmm. get the reparations paid in our lifetime you know and get this get these checks going that's what's going to happen to the communities but the government can so easily do that and it has done it as gabe mentioned in certain communities In in my state connecticut is very obvious on the public school side you'll have literally a town called west hartford you look it up, the, the the best school ratings ever, and then you you Google East Hartford, where Trump's, um, you know, Secretary of Education actually singled our East Hartford High and called it this shithole high school and everything, literally right next to each other. So, you know, this government has all the resources it needs. There was just a New York Times article a couple days ago saying that all the economists of the past 30 years had no clue. That basically, you just invent money out of thin air. So we have the money. Mm -hmm. All these things. That's the sick joke, you know. Poverty is a
2: choice.
3: No, no. Thank you for saying that. Poverty is a government policy choice. Period. The reason why we have people dying every night homeless in the street is because the government chooses for that to happen. The reason why we have people dying of all types of illnesses is because the government chooses for it to happen. That's what it is.
1: Right. It is
3: what it is.
5: Just look at mansion and cinema now. It's like money, money, and politics is the the poison, you know. That's that's just killing us all, and the planet, and our children, everything. I mean, I gotta
3: give it. I can't take it, the,
5: it I anymore. Give it to the folks
3: of West Virginia who was in those kayaks <laughs> Ugh, talking about what you doing to our bill. That's see, but I like that because
5: mm-hmm.
3: I've, I'm changing my wording behind it since January sixth, but. All public officials in this country should be pariahs. We want
2: to live. We want to live. We want to live. We want to live.
5: We want to live. We want to live. We, we, want want we, we want to live! We want to live! We want
0: to live!
2: Please. Please. Hey. 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 Could you just no, no. go down to the corner for an hour? How about it's my done. daughter's she wedding. Sure. Just for, for an hour. Just she let she her get, get okay. married, please. It's, okay. it's, this person is not my daughter. My daughter's getting married. Tell, will you tell her that Did you
8: invite Senator? Is Senator really here? No. We don't like what she's doing to our country. How about you invite Senator?
5: You know what, Keller? Keller, I I don't disagree with any of your people, so with your point of out. view, and your rights. It's my daughter's wedding. So please, out. please just go down to the
3: corner for one hour. You should not be able to go mm-hmm. to the grocery store with. You should either be shunned, or people should tell you what they think about you. And tell you're not doing for their are. community. You shouldn't be able to go to your granddaughter's recital because they'll be embarrassed for you to be there because of the type (laughs) of anger and disrespect that you'll receive. I don't believe anybody should put their hands on anybody, but I think you should be shunned. I think you should be shunned.
6: Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I I think if that started happening,
3: I think people would move a little bit different because it's great to have all that money, but there's only so many rich people and they only let so many people in their immediate circles. So at some point, and if you can't get the people to do anything with you anymore, you are no longer valid or useful. Like I said, everything that we need to do comes back to us organizing
6: and yeah. getting people mm-hmm. together. I do, I do have to mention though that the Joe Manchin problem is, you know, it's not just talking voters. It's, it's changing the machine in West Virginia. It's mm-hmm. not like no, but this is why you can't change the machine in West Virginia
3: until you get enough voters. Like, again, the problem with us is we do chicken before the egg, right? Or like mm-hmm. it's, it's the cart before the horse, right? Like you can, how can you change the system if you can't get your politicians to listen to you? How And you can't get your politicians to listen to you you have enough people who can vote them in or out. Right. When you can when you can show them a petition with 10,000 people that they can go back through and call who are saying, listen, next election, if you don't do A, B and C, we're going to vote against you when you can have 10,000 people in a community like you've told me calling these offices, but five, six people doing that, 10 people doing that, that does not move them yeah you have nope. to get numbers to the point that you can actually do something to them like you can't change a system without numbers that's why no. that's why none of this is working and if you right. look at the points in the country when you actually got anything the civil rights movement the new deal the freaking great society which is still the civil rights movement, it's all at the same time like people were massively organized the war movement when the anti-war movement in the 60s there was a but, massive amount of people who came together. It wasn't just a small little group of people. People were coming together all over the country.
6: I know, but you with the New Deal, you actually had people in the in the government that wanted to do it, like France. Yeah, Perkins. but why? Because if you remember
3: that. it came to a point where white people were running up in rich white people's homes and killing and stealing. There was some motivation
5: behind it. Right. They wanted to stop communism. That's right. why they
1: yeah, let's um, let let me say if we're going to start to think about politicians and their their motivation, that um, at least my working my my working assumption is they're unreliable, they're dishonest, they're self interested, they will lie to you every time. You may meet an individual who's in politics who's a good person. I have a dear friend who's right now a city councilor here in in Chicago. In my mind, I'm not including her when I think this. That does not stop me from operationally, any plans I make, even if I'm approaching city council, I'm assuming the vast majority of people I'm dealing with are liars. They only care about their own self interest They're doing whatever they can do to make sure they stay in that position of power. So you can't, to look backwards and say, well, maybe at this time people cared more about civil rights. Our best bet is to assume they did not care about one other person that wasn't inside their house when they went home at night that they were doing it because there was some kind of motivation that made them feel like they had to do it. And it was probably so pretty, interesting. you know, petty in the end, like probably not anything deep, probably like they've convinced me I'm going to get voted out. And so I'm going to start acting like I really care about this stuff. I, I really think that part of it is that we should assume the worst of it, people. But doesn't it go power. back,
3: doesn't it go back to what Yvette used to say, right? <laughs> you got to have wind behind your back. Perfect example, Nina Turner. I think Nina Turner with wind behind her back would be great. I think Nina Turner without a movement and wind behind her back is going to be mediocre as fuck. Right.
1: Right. But
3: would I rather have a Nina Turner in office who, if I can get enough people and get wind behind her back, she'll fight for me versus me having somebody else that if I get wind behind their back, we going to have to fight them tooth and nail to get what we need versus Mm. somebody who would be more open to my needs. But again, Absolutely. like I said, I don't, trust, I don't trust anybody. This isn't a personal thing with her. I'm just using this, her as these an These are our friends. Because yeah. she's a person that we know believes in a lot of things that we believe, but okay. she'll believe them more if you have a whole group of people behind her that can push her. And not right. only do you need a bunch of people behind her that can push her, you need a bunch of people that are in these other districts pushing their congress people to yes, do stuff. Yes. We can't just focus on the. And I fucking hate AOC, but I don't live in that bitch's district, and I'm not moving to New York or going to stay <laughs> in New York to organize her district against her. I got people in my own backyard that I'm not officially in their district that I can drive to that I gotta slay. I gotta fucking get rid of Karen Bass from trying to be fucking mayor. Like I got work to do. So that's my problem. Like everybody wants to focus on people who are not in their district. What the fuck is your congressperson doing? My congressperson is isn't doing shit for black or Latinos and she's a fucking Latina.
5: Okay. Mine is Barbara so, Lee.
3: so so this that's is all so need to say, that's yeah. the thing. Like it's easy for you to be like, well, AOC isn't doing this, this, this in her district. Well, what is your congressperson not doing in your right. district? And I'm not the person who says that that um that um electoral politics is the end all and the be all it's a tool like everything else it's a tool mm. but if you don't have enough people you can't access the tool because we don't have the money
1: yeah so the only i thing think political is education is political education is integral to building yes. community like that right mm-hmm. so i mean the more people know the more knowledge they have you know the more willing they're the more willing they'll be to you know make decisions that are in their best interest i think so
5: and I, I think we, you know, one thing that's, it's not sexy, so it's never, never really pushed, but people, especially poor people, uh, you know, who don't have a lot of education need to be educated on the, on the mechanics of voting, you know, can we, like, can we say it, you that know, all
3: people need to be, because I know a lot well, of, I know a lot yep. of
5: middle-class people that don't know shit
3: yeah, about
1: absolutely. shit. Absolutely. True. Yeah. They Maybe don't have younger people.
5: Yeah. It's yeah. it's the, you know, like in California trying to to vote uh, you know, as an independent trying to vote for uh, somebody running on the Democratic presidential um ballot is like, you know, there's this this technocratic complexity serves as voter suppression. That's like why you I have to that's
3: why, that's why I'm a Democrat in California. Cuz well, you have to literally request the ballot every exactly, election. Exactly. You know, I I, I
5: spent months hassle. and months and months you know, educating the Bernie campaign and and trying to get them to do something. I mean, it was just mind numbing. This one little thing, you know, cost it it cost him at least 400,000 votes in 2016 because people do not know how to vote, just what ballot to request and when and what to do with it. Simple stuff. But I like design.
2: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely,
5: absolutely.
2: The reason why Stacey Abrams and it's
6: so- party. Sorry, uh, oh. sorry, Danette, I can hardly hear you, sorry. I can barely oh, hear you too, okay. Edie. Sorry. Y'all,
1: too quiet.
6: Um, Y'all is head
2: the, the reason that Stacey Abrams was so effective in Georgia is she spent two and a half years Literally mm -hmm. going into these podunk towns and driving down dirt roads and knocking on people's doors and explaining to them what's a a lieutenant governor, your mayor. Like you've got people that don't know anything about how the system of government works. and
3: and I didn't know I had a city council until they dropped a note on my door talking about an election, (laughs) okay? (laughs) <laughs> i'm so i'm so fucking serious like it, you don't know until you don't know like until i became right. politically active i didn't know what i didn't know um sasha yeah. you got you want to get you want to jump back in here
1: what else you <laughs> know what <in> unknowns mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you thinking about over there sasha did we lose you maybe she, she
5: may be in the bathroom or something
1: <laughs> i do want to agree with a point you know i feel like Sa- what sasha was talking about in terms of being um, you know building community i i think um reparations is the is the onion that you peel back and you understand the whole picture like that without a doubt is true but sam mm-hmm. talks about these these um small mutual aid projects and chapters all. Oops. Oh, Because his his cat was attacking Sorry, that was my bad. (laughs) I'm playing with stuff.
3: Forgive me, y'all.
1: My cat is attacking me. Feed your cat, man. Did I go mute?
3: No, I I actually took you off. Forgive me. I made a mistake. I was trying to make you like the main screen, but it took you off. So I'm going to stop playing with stuff. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: (laughs) There's all kinds (laughs) of things going on. You're deleting me. My cat's attacking me. People don't want this heard. I'm telling too much truth get out of here juicy. <laughs> um, I, I was trying to kind of connect some of the dots together and just say, uh, I believe that my belief is that reparations is kind of the is is like the roadmap, it's or, or the onion that you peel back and you understand all the layers of how the society works and, and doesn't work by design. But that the things that Sasha and in other conversations, Sam has talked about mutual aid societies, building individual small community projects, that's the piece that gets you to the other piece. And I think it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to talk about um, politics and voting and even voter education if the place that you're having that conversation in has not already shown a commitment to your Mm -hmm. day-to-day life. So if I can go somewhere that's going to help me with um, you know, navigating the school system, or getting me food to eat, or helping me deal with my lawyer. And I go back, you know, the fourth or fifth time for something, and they say, "By the way, I want to talk to you about, you know, voting independent in California, for example, and how how you do that." Now I'm going to listen to you. But if my first encounter with you is, I want to mm-hmm. explain to you why you need to vote for this referendum, or for this candidate. I think people are automatically skeptical, especially Black folks. And they are right to be skeptical. You know, I think it's not inappropriate. Mm-hmm. I you know, I have debates about COVID all the time, and ultimately, you know, and I'm vaccinated and I think people should get vaccinated, but ultimately I'm gonna talk to you one way about that if you're white. And if if you're a black person saying to me, I do not trust uh the medical system in America, mm-hmm. I'm finished. Because I can't debate that with you. What am I going to say? Like, uh, you should really have your faith and trust in how doctors in America are going to black <laughs> Like that, my tongue's going to fall out. I'll be cursed and die <laughs> telling lies like that. I don't trust. I don't trust that the economic system is going to help Black folks. I don't trust that the, anything that this that this entity, this this government has created, this culture has created, um, is beneficial for Black folks. And that's why you need a, you need reparative justice to reconstruct, to reorient what we're doing around an admission of responsibility and to make things right, to pay back the debts that, that's owed in order to reorder the entire society. You get there through these small, you know, these chapters everywhere where you can go to people for real help and mutual aid, but not mutual aid like... Um, you know, I'm a DSA chapter. I hang out because I don't really have to worry too much about money. I've come up with like this cool project and I'm going to do it in my comfortable neighborhood, which is important too, but it's important the kind of how do you use your free time way. Um, mutual aid in the sense that people who are really in need of help get resources that get them that help, that life or death help, that getting somebody out of prison help, that na- navigating a uh, potential eviction help, no, and so you need you. that community. Sasha was talking about, I think, to get to reparations, which gets you to the big numbers that get you the like electoral power that you need.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. I like I said, it's it's a it's a starting from the starting from the beginning, right? Because like I said, I just think. I think I keep listening to people and they're just like, well, we got to start a third party. And it's like, well, what's the mechanism to keep them from screwing you over like the other two parties. I'm not saying I'm, so this is why I tell people. I'm like, I'm not saying I'm against what you're saying. I'm just asking questions because if we end up having the same problem, then we're going to have to confront this at some point. So we might as well figure it out now. What's the mechanism. So again, I like for me, I really think like setting up, I don't know. It just seems, it just makes sense, right? Because if we start coming together as a community, I think the problem is there was a period in time when people knew their neighbors. They knew their neighbors by name, they knew their kids. Like, so if something happened to your neighbor, you gave a fuck. If we go back to having community, we'll have, I feel like we'll have, we'll, we'll still have problems, but we'll have fewer problems because at least we'll care enough to try to work it out with each other. Whereas right now, it's like, I don't know them people, fuck them. Like, the the American individualism thing is something serious. And we're just not in a place where we can do that anymore, especially because when climate change comes, people are going to realize the importance of community. And and I think people who have been in those kind of disaster areas have, right? Because they had to depend on their community to help them. Anybody, anybody got anything
2: else? So I, I, I'm feeling like the issue, like I said earlier, Black people, I think that we maintain our communities, even when your school in Detroit is full of mold, you don't have heat, you don't have running water. I think the communities remain intact. I think what's missing is an experience because we are separate and we are um, an, not even an afterthought as a community, right? Like the black so, community versus so I the don't, white so community. I don't want to push back, hold on. I, I don't want to push back
3: against what you're saying, but I think your experience is different. like. I have relationships with my family, but we don't live near each other. And like I said, so there isn't like, there isn't like, there's community amongst us and we might share resources as a family, but that's not the same as being able to share resources as a community that with people who aren't your blood. So I get what you're saying. I'm not saying, I don't feel like there's institute, like, I don't feel like there's institutional community in a lot of black communities. Cause first of all, like, we're so spread out. Like I live very spread out because I live on the West. I live in the West. I live in California. It's very segregated here. We're very bubbled off. So yeah, do we like talk to each other? And yeah, do we get along? But do we actually come together and support people outside of our little networks? No. Unlike my grandparents in Arkansas. But I guess for them, like they'll they'll organize or do stuff and help people for the whole town. And yes, this town does only have like a thousand people in it, but I don't see the equivalent happening here with something like that in the West.
2: Well, I think that it depends on the size of your city, honestly, because my I live in a town of 40,000 people. Okay. People come together for Martin Luther King parade. They come together for the Christmas parade, the Halloween parade. We celebrate like all the federal holidays because of the military, Um, when both, both, um, during the election, Stacey Abrams was hosting an event that was like a packed out house. She had six events in my town and Trump came literally to Hinesville, Georgia to deal with And, you know, hobnob with the Republicans in in the community. So I think that when we're defining community, I really do believe that it depends on where you live. My husband has a friend whose last name is anchored to a town that's part of my county. And he lives in this community called Homestown, which is a historically Black community that after slavery... That's where all the black people in the area lived. And as my as my husband's showing me this community, he's like, that's a Walter a Walter, a Walthour house, that's a Walthour house, that's like, so they literally live. In around and amongst each other, and I just think that it is a function of where you live, as yes, far I think as the how south community. Has,
3: has community. I agree. I think. Yeah, the, I, I, think, th- I think. I think. So, I think the South has a lot of culture, and they definitely still have community. I agree with that.
1: Well, you but also are a military community, right? Yeah. So it's places the, where the police won't show up and destroy it. So we've had communities in on the south side that have been decimated by the police and by public mm-hmm. policy they will not yeah. do that to your army base centered community yeah not the gonna police do
2: don't even i live i live literally a half a mile from the one of the entrances to the military base and you don't have police rolling through here you you very seldom do you even hear about police brutality it occurs but not to the level that, mm. and we're a heavily black community. We're it's forty thousand people, but there's more black people. Sometimes I feel than white people. That's not true if you look at the statistics. But historically, you're more
1: out there. Probably you're probably more visible and doing community. I, you know,
2: I mean. I'm not fearful of driving through my neighborhood or or my town. I, I'm not, now I, I do caution my son. I'm like, okay, it's dark. You don't need to be out hanging with your friends at 11 o'clock at night because there is an element in the community where we have these little back hole down the dirt road, clubs and places where police tend to be when there's issues. And I'm not saying that we don't have crime, um, but it, I think it depends on where you live. And I think like we have a, a really large church that um, has a food pantry and a clothes pantry and America's Harvest donates, brings supplies to that church to feed people in the county. We even have um, homeless people that are in co-op type housing so that they're not like panhandling and living on the street. So it really does depend on where you live.
1: If you weren't military, they'd run the black folks out of your neighborhood. It's That's so nice that I'm, they- I'm
2: sure.
1: You know I'm what sure. I'm saying?
2: Because yeah. what the army to me, is, is heavily black. It's like 40% black. So yeah. But you're
1: military and they need right. black folks in the military for lots of reasons, right? right? So there's like Chatham, right. The neighborhood of Chatham in Chicago, one of like a solidly middle class, really, really like highly functional neighborhood. One you anyone would love to to be in the middle of because almost no crime. Every play, every block you go down. Chicago is a block by block city. This particular neighborhood, for decades, every block you went down, beautiful, well maintained, well manicured, like largely own home ownership, but there was some rental in there too. The The folks in the neighborhood didn't call the police. They solved problems among themselves mm-hmm. and they didn't sell their houses to strangers. Anybody wanted to sell a house, they talked to each other and they found somebody who they knew who wanted to buy it. City of Chicago starts tearing down the projects and they start forcing homeowners who rented in Chatham To take Section 8 and not just to take people who had Section 8 vouchers but to just like not really be doing careful screening like a lot went with that and it's a whole different conversation but the point is they forced people to turn their rental properties into revolving doors Mm. and the crime started to go up people started to call the police because they didn't know who these people were so if there was some activity that looked criminal instead of being able to call their neighbor and say hey Frank what's going on in your backyard Now it's a bunch of strangers, often much younger people. So Mm -hmm. they call them the police. Well, once the police show up, they're starting to do stuff that's destabilizing the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, Chatham is now considered a crime-ridden neighborhood after decades of being a solidly middle-class. There are studies on Chatham. How did they do it? What was their secret? There was no secret. They kept the city away from them for as long as they could. And they didn't let strangers come in and buy stuff. Overwhelmingly black neighborhood. It's not, it is where you live. I think you're right in that sense, but it's not where you live in the sense that if the outside world can come and mess with what you've got as a black community, they will.
3: And that's the problem, right? We've never been able to protect our communities. That's it.
7: Reparations.
3: Yeah. That's why reparations. And that's why part of reparations has to be protections.
7: The federal government. And, and and all these examples everyone's mentioning, you've noticed the power of the federal government, and that's the thing mm-hmm. that really is leveraged in terms of those big grants, the big funding, the Title IX, the civil rights. You know, all these. You know, the the protection. I mean, Thaddeus Stevens was crying when the Union troops left the South because the power of the the federal government is important in terms of like, yeah, you can blame the military or all this stuff, but it's, I think it's even bigger. It's just the power of the federal government being there. Like the state government is where you get all this fucked up shit that you hear about, but the federal government say what you want, at least is the one that steps in and invents this money out of thin air and snap benefits. Those are federal funds. You know, all these, a lot of these programs um, are when the federal government is very involved in a state and in cities. And you could get these things happening where people aren't trying to rely on this property tax, I just noticed that all these examples people keep bringing up about certain communities just shows that, you know, when the federal government is very involved in communities, um, things do tend to work and they fund communities. So, I mean, that's, you know, anybody that grown up in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, that's when the federal government kind of stepped outside of communities. Right. And he did this public private thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, more people as, you know, you criticize the Biden administration all you want. And, you know, he's at least we're pushing back to the days of a little more federal, involvement which i can definitely get behind and i think dr darity mentions that a lot in reparations that state by state town by town but the federal government especially in terms of protection like you mentioned that's what it's all about is when you at least get that federal government um you know you can have bigger governments of bigger conversations about abolishing the government and all these things
3: insane like
7: yeah the the federal government is what we have even eisenhower sent in the troops you know that's just tends to be so i just noticed that and this exchange it was fascinating to listen to but i just wanted to maybe add that because i don't have much experience with like military towns and everything so i always wondered like how they how they worked out um well, there, they, there was a twilight zone actually, episode about one <laughs> that's all it's i know
2: very it's very interesting we when covid first um arrived in our area from march to june our numbers were at 150 cases, and it stayed that way from March to June. Our town, our whole county, what they do is people that live on the military base, there's, there's three elementary schools, but the middle schools and the high schools are in the town. So the military has to coordinate with the mayor and the school board to, to organize closures and stuff. So when they closed the schools, they closed the schools on Easter. We all go on holiday for Easter at the same time. Spring break, summer, all of that stuff is all coordinated. When they shut the schools down in March, the entire town was on lockdown. The only thing that you could do is go grocery shopping. There was not a lot of movement. And on the military base, even now, to go into the department store, to go into the grocery store, to go into the hospital, you have to be masked up, you have to wash your hands. They have they have sinks that they use in the field with the soldiers when they're doing the mm-hmm. training exercises. They brought in those sinks and ran water pipes from the water sources and you cannot enter a building without okay. washing your hands. So, so they keep the numbers low. What okay. happened was, After the, um, you know, that they had postponed the primary. Well, the primary happened in June here. And after that, the mayor was a Trumper. He Mm. lifted all the mandates. And we went from 150 cases from March to June to 1,000 cases by October, from June to October. We went to 1,000 cases. And now our county is like five. 5,000 cases and like 300 deaths or something like that. And so yes, the federal government matters. The federal government makes a difference. And I think that part of what's missing is an experience, especially for black people, as being part of the American community. Because we're we're not. We're not seen as Americans. We're told to go back to Africa if we have an issue with how we're being treated.
3: I understand what you're, I definitely understand what you're saying with that. And I think this all boils back down to, for us with Black folks is with mutual aid and using that over time to build new institutions, right? Because the problem is, no, regular Black people never had a hold of our institutions. Let's just be honest. So Mm -hmm. new institutions need to be created that are taking care of poor Black people and doing things with poor Black people in our communities. Because, again, when reparations comes, right, we want reparations to be a check, but we also want it to be programs. Right. Well, if you are going to start giving money to black institutions, don't you want that to be some some of those institutions that should be created by regular people, not just the affluent and the wealthy? we got to do that stuff now before the reparations comes.
1: Yes, that's so important. I wish Sasha was still
3: was still on here because Sasha was talking about like with the Jewish community, they had been building institutions for for almost 50 years before they even got their money.
2: Right, but do but were they doing that? What I'm interested in is we know that our community is poor. So okay,
3: we are okay. So that's that's the event thing, and people get mad, but our community has poor pockets. But the thing about it is the whole point of mutual aid is about coming together and putting what you have together to get what you guys need as a community and over time like you have if you build an institution you can start looking towards getting funding but without an institution you can't really get funding because it becomes charity mutual aid is a charity. it's literally everybody coming together and bringing resources together we have working people who have government jobs in our communities. There's not a lot of them, but they have money and resources that they can help shift to other people in the community. We have that kind of money. We don't have we don't have we don't we don't have money where we can feed all of our people, but we have money where we can shift stuff and create things that we can go Because, you know, there's grants out here that you can get for for groups. And and I'm not saying that we need to nonprofit mill our way through this, but I'm saying we need to create institutions. So when the money does come, we are in control of some institutions for ourselves
2: as well. So it's not just the black people controlling anything in America without fear of reprisal is not going to happen until this country is transformed. I don't believe that. 'Cause
3: we don't have time for that. That's some weak that's a weak shit. Like that is some weak ass shit. We can't. Like we can't sit around here and wait to fix America before we can start getting our shit together. No, but but what I'm saying is We're in 2020, 2021. People can't run up in and burn our whole fucking institution down, literally, and murder us. Now, can they do sneaky shit on the outside and can they do certain stuff? Yeah, but that's strategic planning. But this, but sitting around and waiting—that's not. No, that's not what I'm saying.
2: I'm not. I'm not saying that we sit around and wait. I'm saying that the institutions that you're speaking of do have to be built. But I also think that at the same time we need to be working to transform the way that this country operates because you're talking about I, I, grant no, money I get, no and so if, this is the thing i agree just with just as on that an part. example just as an example if you're seeking grant money and they know that you're a black institution are you really going to get the grant money if
3: but we're working well with so this is the that thing that but there are white people out here who have a lot of money who don't have problems donating money to black institutions. They are out there. It's not gonna be everybody, but they're out there. There are malevolent benefactors that will come in and help and not try to take over and fuck your shit up.
1: And there's different, I mean, we're on a continuum, right? Like we're for the sake of, we have to do a little bit of um, like uh, sketching this out rather than getting into all the details because Mm -hmm. even doing that, we end up talking for two and three hours. But for example, There are community development federal credit unions across the country run by black folks with mostly black folks money in them in chicago we have one that is a majority black board that has over four million dollars in deposits the average deposit under a thousand dollars most of what we do is loan money for used cars because that's what people want the people drive the depositors our members and they drive the offerings we have. So we could be doing, you know, we could try to do as many um, house loans as we wanted to, if that's what people wanted, but they would be this many. You know, we say, our, you know, our general manager will say, well, this is what you can do if you want to do that. If you want to do payday loans, you can do this many. We do a ton of payday loan alternatives. They're not actually payday loans because those are predatory, but they're the same thing with the tiny interest rate, you know, you borrow a hundred bucks, 150 bucks. Most we have hundreds of loans for used cars that are um, in in the works as we speak, because that's what people want. That's resources. People say the South Side of Chicago is broke and these are broke people. These are poor people in Chicago pooling their resources. And we have successfully put four million dollars together. That doesn't that's not political or transformative. If you don't plug it into a bigger vision, but it does exist. Yeah. So it's all mm-hmm. got to kind of be put together is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you know, what, who, you know who tries to constantly tear us down? Banks. Banks mm-hmm. hate us mm-hmm. because credit unions, they literally, banks are chartered so that they can't do what we're doing. Mm-hmm. The, the government does not want any kinds of lenders doing what we're doing. Awesome. And so credit unions were <laughs> advocates said, wait a minute, you, you make it illegal if banks loan too many small dollar loans out, they are basically violating their charter and can be shut down.
3: That's why. So
1: credit unions <laughs> are like this thing that's not supposed to exist that allows this small lending to happen. And so a small you know, there are there are people with ethics everywhere, even in banking. So some of those folks many years ago said, hey, wait a minute, we need some kind of a lending um, you know device we need a banking device for people who can't do these big dollar loans and stuff. And so that you have this, the banks, have their lobby, I promise you today, they are constantly going to Congressmen and saying, you've got to revoke community development charters, or you've got to restrict what they're able to do. So that battle is constantly going on. We don't hear about it because the media doesn't care. The media won't care. If all the credit unions in America are shut down, the media is not going to care. Now, you know, this is a rabbit hole too because unions are connected to credit unions, so there's some clout there. But um yeah, I mean this stuff people are doing this work right now. It's not yes. linked together, it's not activated, the big vision isn't there. Black folks are not broke broke like that. If you do Because just we people still have income. We don't
3: have wealth, but we do have yeah. income.
1: Right. That's and people will pull their black income. folks have people income. We
3: do not have we do not have wealth, but we have we come from a people where Our people who've had more have always been willing to take a little bit off the top for themselves and invest in institutions that they believed in. The problem is we don't believe in our institutions anymore and they don't belong to us and they don't fight for us.
5: So how, but so
2: then that's what's missing is, is Gabriel mentioned vision is missing. The The whole country is missing vision, yeah. Yes. And and that's all that I'm saying, is that there's a vision that's missing that brings us all together. I think we're tired. People are just tired. They're beat down and- So Danette, can I pose this to you? Absolutely. The job of this group
3: and the network is to create that vision. Because the vision that has been created and has been being pushed is shitty. This white leftist fake, socialism that they're pushing is some bullshit and it's a bull it's some bullshit for poor whites this is some make middle class america great
5: again bullshit
2: yeah it is
5: I
1: deny everything but what I have all along admitted. The design on my part to free the slaves.